This morning, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra. I too, Matt, uh, do the word thing. And uh, in 2019, uh, Philip and I sat down for lunch and we discussed our words for one another. And uh, not that we were telling the other, but telling each other what we felt like God was telling us. And he said, my word, I feel God impressing on my heart is gospel. And I said, the word the Lord has impressed on me is abide. And through 2019, I tried to do that. I tried to bring that forward here at Eastside. On a sunny night uh, in November, I was headed to the Georgia Baptist Convention and was just north of Macon. And uh, I was listening to Ravi Zacharias on the radio. And as I was listening to it, uh, he began to speak of something that he said is uh, uh, very rarely heard preached on in our church today. We look at the easiest way out. We look at the easiest way of doing things and the path of least resistance. But he preached uh, about the burden, a burden. And God spoke to my heart very clearly. And he said, this is your word for 2020. Burden. And I said, okay. And in the immediacy of saying, yes, God, that's my word, I felt the sense of that's not going to be easy simply by definition. And it was not five minutes later, I caught a tire across the front of my truck. And uh, things, you know, life happens. And it happens very quickly. And it happens in the most inopportune, unexpected times. But this morning, I want to preach on a bright future ahead. A bright future ahead. I had to live this last night. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But I want you to understand, everything we sang about this morning is true. Every single bit of it. Mercy, love, future, all of that that we sang about. No matter what happens, as children of God, we belong to Him. And He cares about us individually and corporately. And so I had been planning, I had planned on doing Nehemiah last fall. God says, no, not yet, no, not yet. And we went through the book of Acts and God said, no, not yet. And so I said, okay, I'll do it in the first of the year. And he said, yes, first of the year. And so we will begin, Lord's willing, in the book of Nehemiah in just a few weeks. But leading into that, I want to look this morning in Ezra at a bright future ahead. In a few days, leaving this Friday, in just a few days, I'm scheduled to visit the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem. We will walk on and around the Temple Mount. The temple is not there. It, in its place, stands a Muslim mosque. 
the foundation stone of uh, stones of Solomon's temple, known as the Wailing Wall, are all that remain today. That's where you see the Jews praying. Several temples have been built over the centuries. We know Solomon's temple and Hezekiah's temple and so on. Many, many have been built over the century. All, all have been destroyed. Different armies attacked over many years and in various fashion. But make no mistake about it, there has been but one enemy, Satan. How can this happen? You ever come to a place in your life, how, how, how can this happen? Well, sometimes in life there's just not any answers. But in this case, there is. How could this happen? They were God's chosen people in the land that God had promised them. The problem was they did not choose Him. They trusted in themselves. They trusted in anything and everything but God. And here in Ezra, it, the post-exilic temple is built. They're coming out of Babylon, rebuilding the temple. We'll see in Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. Once again, God's plan for God's people. Now I want you to understand, this is a prayer I prayed coming to church this morning. God has a plan. God knows. God is sovereign. If anything happens, God allowed it or did it. But there's nothing outside of God's purview. Amen? God doesn't ordain death. God does not ordain abuse. God does not ordain divorce. God does not ordain sin. But God allows it because we have a choice. They had a choice. He said, if you'll be my children, I'll be your God. If you will follow me, I will lead you. We have today, if you will trust and believe, I will save you. As we come here today on the first Sunday of the new year, we can look back at God's will for us. His children and how God has blessed us and yet we still failed Him in the past. For those of you who were not here last Sunday night, I want to bring you up to speed very quickly. Number one, we raised the budget for the first time in over eight years. God's blessing by 2.45%. And in all, all those places, it was places of ministry. Even in raising up uh, uh, the amount that we spend on utilities and other things because we're using the facilities more to share the gospel with our neighbors. We raised it in men's ministry, women's ministry, college ministry, children's. We raised the, the budget line items for those things. In just a few short weeks, this place will be overrun with pure, unadulterated, unconditional love. During the night the shine. But even before that, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and on those Saturdays as those children come 
to cheer and to play ball. Listen, it's wonderful that they're doing that. But the end all is to tell them there is a Jesus that loves them. Not only did we raise the budget, we have been working about three or four years toward putting aside an emergency fund so that if the world come apart from together, if the hospital, Claxton Poultry, and everything else closed down overnight and every single member of this church could not tithe, we could still make payroll, keep the lights on for three months. Three months, not three days, not three weeks, three months. It's being good stewards. But we weren't done yet. We voted as a church to move $50,000 because of your faithfulness to God. And if you're not faithful in tithing, imagine what this could be. But if you are, listen, we took above all that, building up that emergency fund, raising the budget, and other things, and that doesn't include I don't know how many tens of thousands of dollars of designated toward Guatemala and other ministry outreaches. We moved $50,000 out of our general fund into our building fund because God has a plan. Did y'all hear what I just said? God's got a plan. We were not built and we were not planned to stay in this room right here until Jesus comes back. And God has blessed us. We have tightened our belt. We have sought and we have looked. I told y'all some things are coming and I'm not going to begin. You say, what are we going to do? Don't ask me today. Don't even ask me this week because I'm still not completely sure. But I can tell you one thing. We're going to do what God wants us to do. And it's going to be painful at days. And there's going to be some says, I don't believe we ought to do it that way. That's all right. I understand that. I told my daddy I didn't think things up. But he was still my daddy, and we did it his way. And as long, and I don't mean this arrogantly, but God has placed me here for such a time as this. And I believe God has given us a bright future. And one way I know is by the love just the unconditional, just a smile and a handshake and a hug this morning and says, I love you. Man, I'm going to tell you something. There is no amount of anything that can replace that. I want you to understand something. God has a plan. This is not the temple. This is not the temple. If we build a new building, that's not the temple. That's the old sanctuary. This is the worship center, but it's not the temple. You see, today God dwells in each and every believer. 1 Corinthians, listen to this. This is good stuff. This is really good stuff. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 says, What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? I've got rights. What rights? God owns you. But turn that thing around instead of worried about not having rights and think about the God who created the universe owns me. He has me. He is in complete control. For we are bought with a price. What price? That'd be awful expensive price, right? 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm going to tell you what the price is. You see, Jesus looked at them. He said, you tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. They lied. They changed his words. When they stood before Pilate and before all the high priests, they said, he said he was going to tear it. No, that's not what he said. He said they would tear it down, but he would rebuild it. They thought he was talking about a building made with stones. No, he was speaking about his body. And listen, they tore it down. They crucified him, hung him on a cross. But praise God, today our victory is in an empty tomb so that we could become the temple of God. Will we allow God to do His perfect work in us, or will we turn back to the beggarly elements of this world and the ploys of the devil? Jesus said in John 10, 10, we always quote the end of this verse. Hear the fullness of this verse. He said, the thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I am come that they may have life and that they may have it, hallelujah, more abundantly. That they may have life more abundantly, a bright future ahead. I want you to look with me in Ezra to set the tone. Ezra's in Babylon. God has been working. God has been moving through even those who are unbelievers. And they are a group that have gone back to Jerusalem. They lay the foundation and the old men wept and the young men uh, yelled and cheered because of what God was doing. But I want you to look with me first. In chapter 5, if we're going to have a bright future ahead, we must learn from the past. If you're bent on doing everything exactly like you always have, you will continue to get what you always have. Somewhere in our life, things have to change, don't they? I realize I'm 55. And my mind and my body are getting closer together. Those of you my age, you understand what I'm talking about. You know, there's part where you think, Man, I'm, I'm 35. I know what age is just a number. Not necessarily. There's a point where the number becomes more realistic. There's a place where you don't jump out there and grab that stuff like you used to. You look around and you say, oh, you get it, young man. You handle that. And the aches and the pains and the, 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 just the weight of things, you're like, man, I, I don't know about all that. I tried to help my dad. There was an uneven sidewalk the other day, and I was trying to help him. He snatched loose me. He said, I'm not helpless. Turn loose of it. We've got to learn from the past. I, people talk about, oh, I wish I could go. I love, no, 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 no. But, you know, it's sad to look around and see someone in their 40s and 50s that have not learned from their past. Look with me in, in Ezra 5, verse 11. And they returned us an answer. This is the world that uh, 
had gone out from the king to ask what in the world's going on. And the Jews returned an answer and said, we are the servants of God, the God of heaven and earth. They wanted to make it very clear. They were serving the real God. And we build the house that was built these many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and set up. But after that, our fathers have provoked God of heaven unto wrath. He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build this house of God. Number one, we've got to remember, according to verse 11, we are the servants of God. We're not the servants of self. And, and, and listen, I was counseling with a young man the other day that's in uh, the military. And uh, I was counseling about, with him about life and other things. And I said, tell me, what's the thing they teach y'all? He said, God, family, country. I said, do you really believe that? Because that's the way it's supposed to go. But when we start saying God and country, and we elevate country above God, then politics takes the place of faith. When we put jobs and vocations, when we put wealth and things ahead of God, we forget We're not here to be served. We come to serve. Jesus Christ said in in Mark 10, verse 42, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And if Jesus came to serve, bless God, we're to serve. It's not, uh, well, that's the deacon's job. Well, that by definition, yeah. Diakonos, a server of tables. But I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to be ordained to serve. Matter of fact, God expects every believer to be a servant. Every single one. How many times does Jesus speak in parables about the faithful and unfaithful servants? We need to learn from the past that this world is not all about us. That everything don't, don't revolve around us. Us. We've become so anthropocentric to where we think everything revolves around man, around me. Everything, I am the center of my universe. I'm going to tell you something. We're not even a speck on a dot in the universe. Yet the Son of the living God knows us by name. But when we elevate our status, that we are some kind of son, and there's never been a time, I don't think, in world history where people think they have more rights than they do today. That we deny science, we deny the family, we deny the doctrines of the church, all for the sake of being sensitive to other people's feelings. I'm going to tell you something. God does not care about our feelings. God cares about our spirit and what we are doing and where we're going. Jesus didn't come to die so you could do whatever you wanted to do. Where sin did abound, so much more did grace abound. So shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! We are His servants. But He said in verse 12, we have failed Him in the past. I'm not even going to ask any of you ever failed Him. 
You're here today because you know of your failures. We're here to worship him. My prayer here today, driving to church this morning, was one thing. God, may you be glorified. That no attention be on me or any, anything else but you. Later in this, Ezra got up. And you can tell Ezra was not a Baptist. The people were not Baptists. Because he would preach and read the word of God for a quarter of the day and then they'd pray for a quarter of the day. And then he'd preach some more. By the way, that's longer than an hour. But Ezra understood he had failed God. He needed God. Nehemiah understood he failed God. Peter understood that when he went and wept bitterly. He had failed God. Paul realized he had failed God. Peter, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Paul and, and Matthew and Luke and John and all of the great, great men of faith failed the grace of God. And you have to. And the sooner we come to that realization about our past, the quicker we can move into a bright future. And may I also say, you're going to fail them in the future too. You don't want to. You don't get up in the morning and say, I believe I'll fail God today. But we do. But I want you to understand God has a plan. You may not see it. And it may not make good sense. But God has a plan. Look in verse 13 of chapter 5. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon. King of who? Babylon is the one who tore the temple down. Basically, They're the ones who came in and took all the stuff out of the temple, took it back to Babylon. You know where Babylon is? Iraq. And all of the things of Israel, they took slaves. They took them all just about out, but just a very, very small remnant. They were not people who followed Yahweh. They were not people who trusted God. They were a godless, false God-worshipping people. But notice what happens. The same King Cyrus made a decree to build this house of God. The old country preacher said, God hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. I'm here to tell you, if God wants to do it with Trump, he'll do it with Trump. If God wants to do it with whoever he wants to do it with, I'm going to tell you, I don't know, I don't know, I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm cynical to a lot of things, but I have hope. And I've watched the Christian personal testimony of David Berkowitz. Any of you know who David Berkowitz is? What's he also known as? The son of Sam. If you've ever watched anything about serial killers in America, you'll know that he said that Satan spoke to him through a dog and told him to go kill these people, and he'd just walk up in the car. He was first called the 44 killer because it was a large caliber pistol, and he'd walk up and he would shoot them and get away. And 
Man, he was jacked up, but I've heard his testimony, and I pray it's true. I can't know what's in his heart. If he got out, would it be different? I don't know. I've seen it both ways. But I've learned it's not me to judge. What I do know is God took a man by the name of Saul who Satan didn't speak through a dog. Satan spoke through the law, the Torah. And he went out and he killed Christians. He went into house churches and arrested them. When Jesus met him on the road, he had, he had the search warrants and the arrest warrants in his pocket. He held the coats for the ones because he would not get his hands dirty as a Pharisee and a scribe, a member of the Sanhedrin. He held the coats for the young men who stoned the first martyr of the new church age, Stephen, to death. But what he didn't realize, God had a plan. And before they could get Stephen to shut up, he had done preached Jesus into his hearing. And as Stephen was rocked to sleep, the seed was planted in the hard, cold heart of Saul. And no doubt there were nights and days ahead, very restless and sleepless nights and worrisome days where Saul rehearsed this stuff in his head. And then one day, trying to put it all out, focusing on other things, is this not us? We try to push God out by filling our mind and our life with worldly things. Jesus said, that's enough. And he stopped him on the road to Damascus. And he called him by name. And when he left, he left different. Hallelujah. Listen, when you meet with God and surrender to Him and cry out, Lord, what would you have me do? I'm telling you something, you'll never, ever be the same. If you look like, sound like, and do the same like things you did before you say you got saved, you got to ask yourself, did you really trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He said in verse 13, He used a worldly king to lead out in rebuilding the house of God. God can use anything. God can use anything. It's amazing what God can do when He wants to do it. He can use anything and anybody at any time and anywhere to fulfill His plan. Hallelujah. Does that not do something for you? Because I'm going to tell you, I work, wring my hands sometimes, I think, Oh, Lord, if we just had more people and if we just had more money and, Lord, if someone would just take the women's ministry and, Lord, if somebody would just help with the college ministry. I'm going to tell you something. God knows who's here. God's calling people's hearts. And make no mistake about it, if you won't be obedient, somebody else will. God's told Esther that. It's your privilege, not your weight to obey Him. It is an honor to serve Him. Paul said it, I count it a joy to suffer for Jesus. And if you're going to suffer, suffer for righteousness' sake. And I'm like you, I don't enjoy suffering. But if I'm going to do it, I want to come out the backside and say, God was glorified in that. God was glorified in that. 
we've got to learn from the past, but we've got to trust the Lord today. Turn over to chapter 8. And this is the verse that really got me. This is why we're preaching here today. Chapter 8, verse 21. Ezra said, Then I proclaimed a fast there. The word fast in Hebrew means to afflict one's soul, to literally put your hand over your mouth, and to demean or not to beat up yourselves, but to put yourself in subjection completely and wholly unto the Lord, giving up that which is temporal, seeking that which is eternal. And by the way, everywhere salvation, where fasting is mentioned, it's always praying for deliverance. Deliverance from something unto the Lord. He said, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and listen, for our little ones and for all of our substance. I've heard many of us say, as bad as the world is today, reckon what it's going to be like for our little ones. I don't know, but God's still going to be on his throne. And we need to instill in the kids not to trust the other things. We need to show them we care enough that we are willing to proclaim a fast, to set our sides self apart, to be afflicted for His glory, to seek the right way for us, our little ones, and for all of our substance. We bring glory to God in everything. He said, for I was ashamed. Now remember, the king said, go check things out. I've... I've I've done this, the worldly King Cyrus, he said, you know, they're up there building, they'd sent guys that knew how to work in stone and knew how to work in gold, knew how to work in wood, gave them supplies. Ezra had not gone yet, but now he's going. And he's taking a group with him. And he had been telling the king, and for all who would listen, our God is the God of glory. He is the creator of the universe. He is Lord of all things. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to believe it. And it's even more to prove it. And so he said in verse 22, I was ashamed to require the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. In other words, they went without bodyguards. No doubt they were Ammonites and Hivites, Jebusites, and everybody that hated Israel. They were still those that had remembered what Israel had done in the past. They may have been some kind of successor to those people of Gath, descendants of Goliath, that remembered what David had done. Who knows? But what we do know, Ezra said, I was ashamed to try to ask a worldly king to give me help for a journey that I said my God had sent me on and was bigger than anything else. Listen, in this context here, if we're going to trust the Lord today, it's going to come through serious seeking. Where we get on our face. I'm not talking about bullfrog prayers. I'm talking about when we get on our face before God as a group of men, we come together as a group of women, as a church, as a whole, as young people who's worried about growing and reaching their friends for Christ rather than making videos, rather than going to just camps that build us up emotionally for a week, but winning our world to Christ. 
Are we serious about seeking our world? Are we serious about reaching Claxton? I'm going to tell you something. Back in November, I was having supper at uh, Trip McConnell's uh, alumni supper they have every year at the convention. I was sitting beside Dr. Canner, sitting with a couple of vice presidents and professors and uh, alumni and others, students that are currently there, all sitting around the tables and having supper. And we were talking about our trip to Guatemala, talking about going back next year. He said, remind me, how many, it was 300, how many, I said, well, according to what they told us, the people that were born again, there were 343 students and three teachers. I said, in my experience, I prayed with at least two of those three teachers. So that's pretty, and he was like, man, 346, is that wonderful? And that is, it's great. And as I was, you know, man, I got to lead this trip, my youth, and I mean, our church, and, and these college students, and I'm so proud, 346 people come to Christ. Then we saw 26 more upper school students trust the Lord in a building that we helped pay for to help do ministry. And it hit me. Have you seen 346 saved in Claxton? Y'all believe there's 346 here that need saving? Are we on me? I can't go to Guatemala. I can't get on plane. Well, you know what? You can get in your vehicle and go next door. You can come up here at basketball. That is what, Ethan, what did y'all do? Dakota, what did y'all do with them when we were in Guatemala? Huh? Recreation. So, Played football, showed them how to kick football, played basketball. Kind of what we're going to do here, right? No difference. People need the Lord. Whether it's in Solala or whether it's in Evans County, people need Jesus. And whether it's through basketball or volleyball or through Fuge County, I'm not against all that. Don't take it the wrong way. It's when we put the cart before the horse, we need to be telling people Jesus saves. And it starts with a serious seeking that we care enough about our kids that we want to lead them in the way of righteousness. We care enough not just about our kids, but other people's kids. Because guess what? If you try to isolate, those other kids that you don't have time for are going to be the people your kids work with, play with, go to school with, outside of your control. You want the best surrounding for your kids? Lead all the kids to Jesus. You want to get rid of abortion? Lead young mothers and young men to the Lord. Now, does saved people do it? Yeah, they do. But listen, statistics go way down when people are walking in tune with the Lord. Serious seeking. And then through soul dependence. Who are you depending on? You depending on self? Self will let you down. You ever backed into anything? I have. In a hurry? I mean, it's not that hard. You know, walk out and look. Is there something behind me? 
But we get in a hurry, we're in a rush. Eric says, I don't know if I have, but I know somebody else that's backed into something. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Whether it's backing into something or just, you ever, you ever burnt something on the stove because you forgot something? Left something in the, in the oven? You know, you ever let something go too long that you needed to stop earlier? Have you ever just absentmindedly forgot to do something? You know, houses burn down like that. You know, other things happen. Because, listen, we're all flawed. All of us. You're not perfect. I'm the biggest mess up there is. Have you ever hid something from yourself? Yeah, put it in a safe place. So safe you can't find it. I've done that. Because I'm a creature of habit. And if if I put it in a safe place... And it's not habitual of me doing that. I won't find it again. I told Becky one time, I said, we need to move again. She said, why? I said, so I can find my stuff. I can't find it. It's boxed up. And every time we move, we're like, oh, that's where it's at. Hadn't seen it in six years. You ever really just let yourself down? Well, I can remember letting my mom and daddy down. That broke my heart. Let my wife and my kids down. Let my church down. But you know what? I'm the one. I'm, I, when I look in the mirror, I'm the worst enemy. The guy I shave. The guy that I brush his teeth. That guy I look in that mirror, that's my worst enemy. And when I start thinking, man, got this. I got this. I got it. All of a sudden it becomes too heavy. And I drop it. I don't have it anymore. It's broken. Verse 22. He said, I was ashamed to ask the world for help when I said God is God. It comes to a point where we've got to get serious about soul dependence. I'm not talking about S-O-U-L, even though that is true, but complete and utter dependence on the only one that can do anything for you. You ever looked at your kids and it broke your heart? You'd trade places with them in a second. I've looked at my kids sick. I've looked at my my family. I've, I've been through things where I said, if I could swap places, I'd swap with them right now. But I couldn't. Because I've got a life to live and you got one too. And what I've got to do is realize that every day I get up and every night I go to bed and every minute between there and all through the night, I've got to be solely dependent on the only one that can do anything for me. And that's Jesus. And that's through a sensitive spirit. Are you sensitive to what God has to say? If not, God has a way of getting your attention. He said in verse 23, we fasted and we besought our God for this and he was entreated of us. In other words, God heard us. 
It went back to that serious seeking coupled with a complete dependence on Him. God saw the seriousness of their heart and they were sensitive to God and they called upon Him and they heard Him speak and He said, I'll take care of it. It'll be all right. I'll take care of it. Can you imagine what Gideon must have thought when he saw that tens of thousands strong army out there and God says, I want you to take them 300 that lap like water, lap like a dog. 300 against thousands. Okay. Let me remind you that what God may be telling you right now makes absolutely no sense to you, to your family, or anyone around. But that's how God gets the glory. In things that only God can do. Does any of this make sense? It's a bright future when we become sensitive to the fact that God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it against that day. Finally, we must prepare for tomorrow. I love that scene in Facing the Giants where the coach says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the head coach says, praying for rain. I've been praying for it now. We just got to prepare for it. It's coming. I must believe in faith that he is and that he is a rewarder to them who diligently seek him. Easter's coming, isn't it? Yeah. Lord hadn't come back. We'll celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Last Easter, we baptized two. Next week, we baptized two more. Next week, we baptized two more. And God spoke to my heart. And God's, I, I set a goal that we would baptize 26, counting those until the following Easter. We're not there yet, church. Not even close. We're somewhere around nine. Can God do that between now and then? Yes. But you know who he's going to do it through? You and me. We must not stop now before it's too late. We must prepare for tomorrow. He said in chapter nine. It starts with repentance, church. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me. And said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of these lands, doing according to their abominations. For they have taken of their daughters and their sons. He said in verse 3, And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and I sat down astonished. Astonished at what? That we could be so quickly removed from God's glory in our life. God had brought them here, rebuilt the temple, and before the mortar had dried, they had already returned to the same sin that tore the first temple down. They were assembled unto me, every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening Sacrifice. 
And at that evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and I spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And I said, oh my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee. My God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass has grown up unto the heavens. It's time for us to be honest about our sin and we need to come before a holy God and say, God, I have failed you. I have sinned and I've brought a reproach on me. I've brought, brought a reproach on the church. Oh God, as David said, against thee only have I sinned. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We must repent. But in that repentance, there must come a rejection. Rejecting what? He said in verse 10, chapter 9. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servant the prophet, saying, The land unto which ye go to possess, it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it, from one end to another, and with their uncleanness. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. Can I tell you something? No matter what you trust in in this world, apart from Jesus, it will die with your body. But there's one thing that will remain. And that is your relationship with Christ. Where are you storing up treasures? Here or there? Are we trusting in things that breaks down? Things that rust? Things that corrupt? Are we laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven where that thief can't break in, where things will never, ever fail. Repentance brings rejection, rejecting that which is not of God. Listen, it's time to stop worrying about being cool and being sensitive. And I'm talking about we got to be loving, but I'm we have got to stop with this whole idea that we've got to conform to the world. no. He said that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by rejecting the things that are not God's will for your life. And then we return. He said in verse 16, or verse 15, rather, verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses. We cannot stand before thee because of this. And then in verse or in chapter 10, verse 16, he said, And the children of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest with certain chief of the fathers after the house of their fathers and all of them by their names were separated. And they sat down in the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. They returned to what God had for them. Listen, as they come to the instruments, I want you to remember something. Just as Jesus resurrected the temple, His body, He can and will 
resurrect us by faith in Him. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, listen, it's a wonderful, glorious thing. Jesus loves you so much. The Father loves you just like He loved Israel and He allowed them to go back. He wanted to establish this relationship. He wants you to know Him as Father. Hey, you must admit, I'm a sinner. I, I've been trying to do it myself. I've been trying to do it all my life. I've tried to fix myself. I've tried to build myself up. I've tried to be good, look good, sound good, do good. You can't be good without Christ. Admit you're a sinner. B, you must believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. You must believe that God loved you so much that he sent his son. You must believe that Jesus, one who knew no sin, died for your sin. See, you must confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, without you, I'll die and go to hell. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Ask you to come into my life and save me. You've done all that. But it's time to repent and return. It's time to come back to where God means for you to be. Are you tired? Are you tired of living a broken, miserable existence? All the world looks and says, oh, they've got it made. They've got it all together. But inside you're living a terrible, terrible, miserable life. Why not seek Him today? You could have a bright future. Just as the first the first slide had, it was a road sign. It said a bright future ahead. How would you know if you didn't get on the road? You wouldn't see the sign. You wouldn't know. Today it's time and here's the road. It leads to these altars and it's time to get on the road and come and see what God's got planned for your life. Fathers, husbands, be the man God's called you to be. Women, mothers, wives, be the woman God's called you to be. Young people, it's a perfect time before you go back to school, go back to college. Say, God, I'm, I'm rededicating my life, the call on my life. I'm saved. I need to be everything you called me to be. You need to join here. You need to be baptized. Be obedient today. As Ezra was, put the world aside. Say, I'm ashamed to try to call on the world when I tell everybody that God is the real God. Won't you come trust Him today? Stand and come. Come to Jesus. Come to Him. The one who can fix it. Come to Jesus.